If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 148 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about those Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on July 31st, the last day of July of 2022. (sighs) Well, I just got done watching that annoying-ass loss. (laughs) against the Royals, so I'm not going to lie and make it seem like it was a bad weekend. The Yankees still won three out of four, but fresh coming off that loss, I'm I'm not very happy. This is just a very raw, knee-jerk reaction <laughs> to that Royals loss, just watching Clay Holmes fall apart in that ninth inning. Everybody in today's game not named Albert Abreu and Jonathan Loizaga just had nothing working. They just weren't good. <laughs> just continues to reinforce the Yankees' need for pitching help, which we'll definitely get to today, no doubt about that, because uh, with the trade deadline in two days, as we know, on August the 2nd, on Tuesday, this episode is going to mainly be dominated by a lot of trade deadline discussion, especially later on in our social media segment to end the show. So don't you worry, we'll get to it. And we'll get to the Yankees' acquisition from the middle of the week. After their tough series against the Mets as well, well, Brian Cashman had an immediate (laughs) pick-me-up because he made the first trade, which I also hope is certainly not the last, before the trade deadline. But obviously, we know who he acquired. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But yeah, I'm I'm just ticked off after that loss today. Literally, it just ended a few minutes ago. It's like 5.40 at the time I'm recording right now. The game was like four hours long today. It just didn't have to be. But... Yeah, I guess I'll just mainly talk about it and don't have to recap it later on either at that point. But Montgomery, it was really weird. He had it. He looked really good the first four innings. He was just mowing the Royals down. Fifth inning comes around, can't even get out of the inning. Just really puzzling. Just giving guys free bases who can't hit. It's really bizarre. Just guys in the Royal lineup, they just, they're not good hitters. Vinny Pasquantino just gives up a walk to him, walks Michael A. Taylor, gives up a hit to Melendez, who actually, I got to say this, MJ Melendez, he had a pretty good series. He was a pest at the plate all weekend long, I feel like. He actually put up some really good at-bats. And then he gave up a hit to Nick Prado, two-run single, blooper down the line that Benintendi couldn't get to in time. Spoiler alert, that's the one who I was going to mention later that the Yankees got in the middle of the week. (laughs) But we already know that. But it definitely, that couldn't be run down with the way Benintendi was positioned, but he definitely gave a good effort on it. And then Michael Garcia, who the Yankees have also had a little bit of difficulty with this weekend, got an RBI double, and at that point he had to be taken out because he was a disaster. That's what happens when you give free bases to guys who can't hit very beatable hitters. You just can't do that. (laughs) And he just couldn't get out of his own way. Montgomery was his worst own, his own worst. God, I can't talk. (laughs) own worst enemy today and then you look at his last start against the Mets as well 
I don't know, Montgomery's been losing it a bit lately. And then you look at this tough stretch Tyone was on. And even though the other day with Garrett Cole, that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa could definitely take some blame for that, the inning that Cole just fell apart. But that even Cole will tell you that, you know, even after something like that, it's your job to just get back on the horse and get out of the inning after that. It just continues to reinforce, like I said before, the Yankees need for pitching. They need pitching. There's no two ways about it, especially after the move they made in the middle of the week to address the lineup and also the outfield simultaneously with Andrew Benintendi. But the pitching is a need. You cannot, and I know we're still about two months out from it, so there's still plenty of season left to go, 60 or more games, give or take, about 60. Yeah, the Yankees after today are 69-34, and 34, so they played 103 games. So there's 59 games left. So plenty of games. So still a bit of a ways out before the end of the year, but there are a couple of names out here that you just cannot afford to go into October relying heavily on. You just can't. I don't trust Montgomery in a playoff rotation. I don't trust him to be any higher than maybe a, a, a four in a rotation, to be honest with you, a number four guy, especially with the struggles that he's had lately. He's just... Listen, he was the... I'm not going to get too much on Montgomery because... Before the last two, three outings, maybe he has been a stature of consistency. I'm not going to deny that. Every time he went out there, you expected uh, maybe a run, maybe two, three. He had his shutouts too, but no more than really three. Very consistent. But he has definitely shown signs of falling off a bit lately. It's not good. Tyone's had his consecutive bad starts. Luis Severino's hurt. Nestor Cortez, even though he's had his better starts lately... You also have to consider the workload because he's approaching the total amount of innings he pitched last year, too. Some of the most innings he's ever thrown in a year. And he did have a couple of clunkers there, so you got to keep an eye on that. Garrett Cole hasn't been 100% sharp, still the best pitcher in the rotation, obviously. Not necessarily ERA-wise, but he's the ace of the team. He and Nestor are the best two in the rotation. There's no doubt about that. But even Cole's had his clunkers. So the Yankees need pitching. That's what I'm getting at. They need pitching. Which was the factor responsible for a lot of their losses in the month of July. And speaking of workload, you could say the very same thing about Clay Holmes today. And this is not me turning on him quickly. Because don't get me wrong, I understand how great Clay Holmes has been this year. And he's only had maybe two or three games, including today, that have not gone his way at all. And he's just been all over the place. But lately, even in the games where he has gotten the job done, Clay Holmes' command seems to be a tiny bit off from what it was. I'm not doubting his pitches. I'm not doubting his ability because his pitchers are still moving a great deal. His stuff itself is still good. It's just his locating is really bad. And it seems that maybe the workload is taxing him a bit. Got about 46 innings on his arm right now, and it's only going to be August tomorrow. So, add another two months on to that. He's he's on pace to, what, almost pitch almost 70 innings? Maybe even closer to 80? It's a lot for a reliever. Especially one who hasn't had to really relieve like that in his career. I'm going to pull up Clay Holmes' prior seasons right now. I don't know for sure what's the most he ever relieved in a year, but it's, you got to consider workload being a factor. So the Yankees definitely need help. Let's see over here. Innings pitched in prior seasons. He pitched 70 innings total last year in 2021. 
42 innings with the Pirates, and then 28 after he came over at the deadline. So that was the most. And I'd say he's give or take on that pace for this year, but he did it last year. But before then, 2020, he only pitched an inning and a third, pitched 50 innings in 2019, and then 26 and a third in 18. All right, so he does have a couple innings worth, a couple of years worth of some pretty good in- innings pitched, especially last year with 70. But you got to consider that. Might be getting some fatigue, especially considering how old his Chapman fell apart and then how heavily they needed to rely on him. They were able to use him a little less towards the very beginning because at that point, Chapman was still the deemed closer, I think it's safe to say. But then he had his amount of clunkers and then they had to move Clay into that role more or less. And I know a lot of people don't like envisioning the Yankees having a definitive closer role or definitive roles in the bullpen, period. But Clay Holmes has been your closest thing to a closer for the last couple of months now, whether you like it or not. And maybe that's taken a toll on his arm a bit lately. So pitching help is needed. And I'm just ticked off about the loss today. (laughs) I'm just ticked. Because it was a lot of back and forth action all afternoon. Because Montgomery fell apart in the fifth inning, as I said. Didn't even make it through the fifth. And allowed the four runs. The fourth run was left on base by him. And Abreu was on the mound when it scored on an RBI ground out. So it was charged to Montgomery. So less than five innings of work allowing four runs with the fourth run charged to him even though he wasn't on the mound. And then after that, the Yankees crept back into it. Little bloop RBI single for Gashioka. Two-run shot for DJ LeMahieu, which speaking of DJ, my God. How incredible has he been? Because you also look at the ninth inning, he also tried to get another rally started in the ninth. Got a one-out single. And then unfortunately, Judge hit a deep fly ball almost to the track. I knew right off the bat that Judge missed it, unfortunately. just You could tell when they just get under it. And you could also tell by the hitter's reaction. I just knew he didn't quite get it. Rizzo walked, and then Glaber hit a fly ball to center. So... He even tried to get a ninth-inning rally started, but DJ, two home runs this weekend. The last few weeks as a whole, my God, has he been back. His war is great. His batting average has gone back up. His on-base percentage is incredible, hovering around 400, just doing a great job. A really great job. His WRC Plus is back up there. Pretty sure it's at the level of 2019, give or take. I mean, anything mirroring his 2019 season... That's some really good stuff. Yeah, his OPS Plus right now, not sure if this factors in today because it might not have updated yet, but 132. It was 136 in 2019. I mean, that's... He's back. DJ's back. (laughs) His OPS is over 800. Even slugging over 400. Yeah, on base base percentage, around 390. That's incredible. So he hit a two-run shot, made it 4-3. to Abreu and Luizga held it there. And then before you knew it, you had Anthony Rizzo at the plate, and he hits a go-ahead three-run shot to make it 6-4. At this point, you're thinking sweep. Because the Yankees, of course, won on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Ron Marinaccio comes in in the eighth, and this is what I meant when I said everybody not named Albert Abreu or Jonathan Luizga just didn't have their stuff today. Marinaccio gives up a nuke to Hunter Dozier right away. 
Unfortunately, well, fortunately, actually, that's all he gave up because he continued to just have a tough time locating the changeup, the slider, the fastball. He just had a tough go at it. Fortunately, he got a big double play to end the inning, so that kept it at 6-5 to because the Dozier home run was just a solo shot. And then in the ninth inning, Clay Holmes fell apart. Just completely fell apart. Just had, he couldn't locate. Very similar to that night against the Reds where he was hitting guys with pitches. He was walking guys constantly. Just couldn't locate if his life depended on it. Very similar today. Which ultimately resulted in Salvador Perez, who was obviously not the same player he was back then, but was clearly on that sinker. And Clay Holmes gave him one right down the heart of the plate. Couldn't have put it more down the middle than he did. And Perez made him pay. Veteran guy, any respectable baseball player should be able to hit a pitch like that, despite the running action on it. It was right down the middle. My God. And obviously the velocity on it doesn't help when you get a guy that squares it up real good. It's only going to go even farther. (laughs) So, not good. Not a good outing for Clay. It has been a little bit of a theme, just seeing his command go a little bit over the course of his last few outings. Something to keep an eye on as they keep on having to use him. And... In some people's minds, maybe the workload's coming in. The thought of the workload. So, but I don't want to spin this like it's totally negative. Obviously, I'm fresh off the game, so I'm not happy about it. But it was still a good weekend. The Yankees won three out of four. It is what it is. And up next, they got the Mariners, who (laughs) just acquired Luis Castillo. (laughs) Obviously, the main pitching target that has been the center of discussion regarding the pitching market for weeks and weeks now, not only on this show, but on every baseball forum there is. And he went to the Mariners, which we will talk about in a second. I guess we should just get right to the trade deadline news that has happened so far, since we're on the subject of it. But we'll start with that. Luis Castillo went to the Mariners, and the the Mariners had to give up their number one prospect, their number three prospect, their number five prospect, And I believe it was also their number 14. So let me translate that for you. At first, obviously, everybody's gut reaction to Luis Castillo being dealt to the Mariners and not the Yankees was instant sadness, frustration, negativity. But then I saw what the Mariners had to give up, and I kind of get it. That would translate to the Yankees basically having to give up Volpe, Dominguez, someone like Waldachuk or Peraza maybe even, and then maybe a lower-scale prospect, maybe like a uh, an Everson Pereira or someone a little lower than that. That's a lot. Maybe I would slightly consider giving that up for a Juan Soto, maybe, but for Luis Castillo, yeah, he's a terrific pitcher. He's a stud. I love Luis Castillo. I'll be the first one to tell you that. But that's a steep price. That's very steep. So, I kind of understand. I do. I'm understanding with that. So, obviously, the Yankees had to pivot after that, and they have since. There are other pitchers to look at. A lot of names being thrown around. Names that have been thrown around for a while now. Even going back to the offseason, like Frankie Montes on the A's. He was being thrown around a lot with Sean Manaya, who was obviously traded to the Padres back in the offseason, back in April, if I had to say. Maybe like early April. Um, but, yeah, now they're looking at him again. There are other people throwing other names around, like a Carlos Rodon, who was also mentioned a lot in the wintertime. And he ended up going to the Giants. 
But if the Giants are considering selling, which there were reports by John Heyman and a couple of others in the baseball world, they might consider it. So some people are throwing his name around. I would not have a problem with Carlos Rodon at all. High strikeout pitcher. Throws real hard. Lefty. I'm down for it. And the announcement that he's also going to be opting out of his current contract come the winter might also help some things regarding what it would cost in a trade package for him. You got Pablo Lopez being thrown around a little bit on the Marlins, also a really good young pitcher. I would not have a problem with that. You also have a name I don't want in Jose Quintana. I've had I've heard his name thrown around a few times, and I just don't want anything to do with him. I just, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of his. Not a hard thrower, gets hit pretty hard. I mean, you don't have to be a hard thrower as long as you locate well, but he gets hit pretty hard. To be honest, I think he's pretty lucky to only have a 350 ERA this year. I'm just not a fan of his. A lot of seasons, he just hasn't been good. I mean, the vast majority of the last few years, his ERA has been well over four. He was better earlier on in his career, but not at this point. I don't want him. Just not a fan of that. And obviously with guys in the bullpen, obviously names like the big one I spoke about last week, David Robertson is still being thrown around. He still hasn't been dealt yet, if the Cubs even plan on dealing him. So just a bunch of pitching names being thrown around. Now, as far as offense, this was pretty much addressed in the middle of the week, as I had said before, because the Yankees did end up acquiring Andrew Benintendi, which I was very happy about upon hearing, and especially hearing about who they had to give up. Because they really didn't give up much at all. They gave up Beck Way, was number 21 prospect. And all these guys, single A pitchers, by the way. TJ Sykema and Chandler Champlain. So, and you look at where the others rank on the charts. I believe Sykema was number 19. And it just, they really didn't have to give up much. They barely even cracked the top 20 in their prospect charts to get Andrew Benintendi. So I think it's a great trade for the Yankees. I do know that Beck Way is a good prospect. I've heard a lot about him. So, I mean, best of luck to those three. As far as whether or not it was a good trade, I think it was a fantastic trade for the Yankees. I really do. To not even crack the top 15 and to barely even crack the top 20. All pitchers you give away, single-A guys... Barely cracking the top 20. I don't know how you spin that as an L. (laughs) That's a W as far as I'm concerned for Cashman. So, Andrew Benintendi on the Yankees now. And all the accolades. I mean, we spoke about him for weeks leading up to their acquisition of him. And it came at a really good time considering he was in the middle of the week. The Yankees had just gotten their asses smacked around by the Mets for two days. And... Cashman just swooped on in with, as I said before, an immediate pick-me-up. And with this trade announced, it was broken by Jack Curry right on the post-game, right after Wednesday's game. Awesome stuff. And now the Yankees have basically what I consider to be the opposite of Joey Gallo. Now, Joey Gallo, when he was acquired last year, right around exactly this time last year, actually, He was said to be the guy who hits a crap ton of home runs, and he did, to walk a ton, which he did, and to have a good glove, which for the most part he did, and even did throughout his time with the Yankees, with the exception of a couple of crucial dropped balls, but that's it. And obviously, we've rehashed this a million times, we don't have to again, but clearly it just didn't work out with Joey Gallo here. It just did not. I feel awful for the guy. 
I, I do. I, I know how much he wanted to succeed here and how much it gets to him. You could tell just from the look at it. It's written all over his face. But it just didn't work here. It's just it's as plain and simple as that. It did not work here. It was a failure. Andrew Benintendi, you got a guy who's already walking a ton to support his already outrageously high on base percentage, which I touted a ton for weeks because it's it's there. His on base percentage is ridiculous. Hovers around four hundred. He and DJ's on base percentages all they do is get on base, and even today he had a stolen base. That's what it's about, guys. Even if the other numbers haven't necessarily kicked in yet, like he only has an RBI single this weekend as far as anything else other than a walk at the plate. But you know what? The guy's getting on base a crap ton. That's what it's about for me. Get on base, and I'm very easily pleased after that. (laughs) That's the name of the game to me. Yeah, of course, everybody loves the home run. It's the most convenient way to get runs on the board. But it's also about keeping the line moving. Get on base, dude. I don't care how you do it. Just get on base and put the ball in play so good things have a chance to happen. That's what it's about. And that's what Benintendi does. Does not strike out a lot at all. Puts the bat on the ball. Gets on base. Solid defender. And he has shown signs of that already in his first few days as a Yankee. And you want to know something else? The guy knows what it takes to win. Because in case you forgot, I don't know how you do, because it meant a lot that year. It means a lot every year that they win. Because it infuriates the hell out of all of us. But the 2018 Red Sox championship team, he was on that team as well. So he has a ring. He knows what it takes to win. He's been in a winning environment before, and being in a high-pressure environment like Boston, he also knows a thing or two about that in helping him to handle the high-pressure environment of New York. Obviously, there's no place like New York, not even Boston, but surely playing in a place like Boston will definitely help prepare you for a high-pressure situation, at least a little bit, like New York. (laughs) So, I think it works all around. Obviously, the main point of discussion was the vaccine because obviously he wasn't able to visit Toronto as a Royal a little while back. And it's very funny. He just he was on the plane here anyway to play the Yankees because Yankees and Royals just played each other. And he was obviously a Royal before this trade. And he still came to New York, except he just switched uniforms. <laughs> it's really funny. And he was just talking with his Royals teammates all weekend long, like before the game, and just, just having fun with them because he was still on their team just a few days ago. <laughs> it's very funny timing. But... Anyways, it was obviously revealed that, more or less revealed, that he wasn't vaccinated when he couldn't play in Toronto. So a lot of people were talking about that when his name was linked with the Yankees. It's been linked for weeks. We've been talking about it for weeks and how much I would love if they got him. And trust me, I'm very happy about this. But I did also mention that although I definitely support everybody choosing whatever it is they want for their bodies, vaccine included, that strictly from a baseball standpoint, that him not being vaccinated and potentially missing out on a playoff game or two in Toronto, it's a little concerning. It is, obviously, because if you acquire the guy and you expect him to make a big impact on the team, then he can't even play in a crucial playoff series. That's not good. At least when they're visiting in Toronto, when they're going there. So it's it's been a major point of discussion. He's been asked the question many times by the media since arriving here already. You could best believe that. (laughs) And he more or less announced that even though he hasn't done anything regarding it yet, he is open to it. So that's good. It's not out of the question. And if need be, it sounds like he would get it. So from a baseball playing standpoint, sounds like you're good to go there. But it was a point of discussion. As far as the trade itself, as I said, I absolutely love it. Big fan of it. 
definitely helps out the outfield big time defensively, helps out the lineup. Got a left-handed hitter as well, providing the balance that he does, putting the bat on the ball, getting on base, putting the ball in play. He does it. He does that for you. Now, obviously, everybody is still going nuts over Juan Soto, Juan Soto, Juan Soto. I've said from day one that I think that that is an absolute pipe dream. I've said that from the first day. As much as I would freaking love it and be out of my mind about acquiring Juan Soto, he's definitely a top player in baseball. Not the top player, but a top player. I happen to think that Aaron Judge is the top player right now, bias aside. But definitely a top player in this sport. I would not take issue with getting Juan Soto. And if anybody did... I don't think they're quite in their right mind. (laughs) So, don't get me wrong. I'd be very happy about that. But I've always thought it was a pipe dream, considering what they would have to give up. If the Mariners, for instance, had to give up 1, 3, and 5 at least to acquire Castillo, and they're already talking about how Juan Soto is going to require the biggest haul in Major League history, (laughs) you'd have to clean it out. Like I said, you have to clean out the farm. And maybe some people would be willing to do that, and fine. I would consider giving away Volpe, and this is coming from a guy who really does not want to give him away no matter what. I would consider it in a Juan Soto deal. But, I mean, it would take much more than just him. <laughs> you'd have When I say you have to clean it out, I mean you'd have to clean it out. <laughs> so, I just never really saw the Yankees going for that. And I definitely think that now that Ben Benintendi's been acquired, I think there's even less of a chance. There's still some people out there that are dreaming, and I'm letting them dream. What are they doing? They're not hurting me. But I just thought it was a pipe dream from the beginning, and I think it's even more so now. But Ben Benintendi definitely checks a lot of boxes that the Yankees need. Help with the, the lineup, help with outfield defense as well. He checks the boxes. And I'm definitely a fan of acquiring him. So that's when I said before, our eyes turned to pitching. A couple of nights later was when Castillo was acquired by the Mariners. I was very upset by it at first. Then I saw the haul. Kind of understood. <laughs> so that's really the deal with the deadline right now. Those are the two main things that have happened in Yankee land. Losing Castillo at the pitching market, who is definitely their number one target. That was being reported for weeks and weeks and just confirmed by a lot of people involved with the Yankees, including Jack Curry and and Brian Hoke, and everybody, just everybody else, even the national reporters like Jeff Passan, Olney, Heyman, all of them. Even though Passan's really one of the only ones I trust, and and Rosenthal too, but that's that's about it. But that was being reported the whole time. He was their number one target. Now they got to pivot towards someone like Frankie Montes, or maybe see if the Giants are selling, like I said, with Rodon. Maybe look at the Marlins with Pablo Lopez. You're with relievers, you look for Robertson. I even saw someone mention Felix Bautista with the with the Orioles, which we we've seen him for some time now, and he's got some incredible stuff. But <laughs> it would probably cost a lot for him too with the with the Orioles, because the Orioles are a divisional opponent. It's tough to give somebody away inside the division like that, and the Orioles aren't necessarily a 100% laughing stock anymore, so they may want to hold on to him for the future. Can't really blame him for that if that's what they want. But yeah, the eyes are definitely pivoting towards pitching now. So that's the deal with the deadline so far. We'll talk even more about the deadline later with the social media segment. As far as other news with the Yankees this past week, obviously they they placed John Carlos Stanton officially on the injured list, retroactive to July 24th with a left Achilles tendonitis injury. And they recalled Tim LoCastro. 
And Stanton is resuming baseball activity this week, according to the Yankees, so that's definitely good. Maybe give another week and a half or two because have to resume activity, do some more drills, face live pitching, go through rehab. So it's it'll it'll be a little while longer until Stanton's back, and I can't wait for that. Obviously, I love my boy Giancarlo. I hate when he misses time due to injury. Last year, he really didn't miss much of any time. And this year, other than that quick stint a few weeks ago, hasn't really missed much either. And then this happened. So, hate to see it. I hope after this, that this is the last that we had to deal with this. I hope they don't rush him. There's really not a need to, considering the position they're in. But I also hope we see him as soon as possible, selfishly, because I love the guy. (laughs) So, the really weird thing about how this was handled, though, is because if you remember... Stanton was missing some games here and there, even prior to the All-Star break, and you got the sense that something was wrong, despite what the Yankees were saying to the media constantly. Because the Yankees were constantly saying, he's just going through some lower body stuff here and there, he'll be fine, he'll be back in the lineup soon. Well, it turns out the entire time he really wasn't okay, given this IL transfer. He was missing some time prior to the All-Star break, and then you send him to Los Angeles to play in a pointless exhibition All-Star game. Obviously, almost hits a ball at a Dodger stadium, <laughs> so he looked okay over there. But you send him over there and risk potential further injury, if there even was true injury at that time. I'm not with the Yankees. I don't know for sure. I'm just saying that this looks strange from the perspective of a fan, because I'm a fan just like you. But it's kind of weird, missing some time prior to the All-Star break. You let him go over to L.A. and play a pointless All-Star exhibition game with no meaning to it. And he comes back from the second half, barely plays again, and then you just randomly announce, yeah, he's being transferred to the to the injured list with left Achilles tendonitis, which anything involving the Achilles, your heart drops, because the Achilles is, anything involving the Achilles is a bad injury. But they said it really wasn't that severe, maybe missing two to three weeks, and some time has passed since they made this announcement, which is why he's going to be resuming baseball activity soon. But... Just the way the Yankees continue to handle and address injuries, it just gets weirder and weirder by the year. This has been a thing with them for years now. But with this and so many other things, oh yeah, they're fine, they're fine. Don't worry, just give them a few days off. And they land on the injured list. And in this case, you let him go to Los Angeles to play a pointless all-star game. I just think it's really strange. Really weird stuff. Missing time before the All-Star break a little bit. You send him to the All-Star game. Comes back for the second half. He's still majorly missing for the most part. And we're just scratching our heads being like, what is up with Stanton? He's missing a lot of time. And then they just abruptly announce to the 10-day IL with Achilles tendonitis. So, just the way that they continue to discuss, address, handle injuries. Just weird. I don't know. This I knew from the beginning because you just know with the way they, they've handled it and you expect this. You've come to expect this if you're a Yankee fan at this point. With the way they sort of discuss and handle injuries, you just you had to know that something was going on with Stanton and he might land on the injured list eventually based on the things the Yankees were saying, their reluctancy to play him. So I wasn't surprised when they announced it. I was upset because I don't like when Stanton misses time. I love Stanton. But I was not surprised because I know the way the Yankees like to address whenever a player is going through stuff. It's just it's just weird sometimes. You can't deny it. They've had this habit for some time now. But 
He is picking up baseball activity this coming week, so hopefully we'll see him soon, selfishly, because people like me love Stanton. And other than that, really the only other news that happened that's worth mentioning, yesterday, in case you missed it, Aaron Judge did hit his 42nd home run. (laughs) It's only August tomorrow. There's over two months worth left of gameplay, guys, and Judge just hit his 42nd home run yesterday. He's on pace for like 65 or 66 home runs at this point. Definitely on pace to tie and pass Maris, which in my opinion is the true standing single season home run record. And not only is it incredible because he also passed Babe Ruth for the most home runs before August, but... That home run was also his 200th career home run, making him the second fastest player, plate appearances-wise, to achieve 200 home runs behind Ryan Howard. So, (laughs) I mean, I've said it for well over a month now, and even the Yankees and the media and everybody else is, is saying the same thing. There are just no more adjectives to describe the legendary all-time season that Aaron Judge is having that we have all had the privilege to go along on the ride with. I mean, it is... It's surreal. It's hard to believe that it is actual reality, what we have continued to watch. Even everybody else saying, I feel like this guy hits a home run every day. Well, he almost does. (laughs) So, it's just... It's insane. It is absolutely insane. I don't know how many home runs he's going to finish with, but it is definitely, certainly not out of the question that he could definitely pass Maris. Maris obviously hit 61 in 1961. It is definitely doable for Aaron Judge at this point. So I just definitely wanted to mention that and continue to congratulate the man, the myth, the legend, one of our beloved behemoths, Aaron Judge. (laughs) on the continued incomprehensible season that he continues to have with August 1st just being tomorrow. Which, by the way, can you believe it's freaking August? (laughs) I know I can't. It's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous that it's August tomorrow. And Aaron Judge has 42 home runs going into it. (laughs) Incredible. So that's basically your news from this past week. And my knee-jerk, unsatisfied reaction to today's game against the Royals. So I guess we don't have to really recap that later. But, speaking of recap, that's really what's up next, guys. So why don't we hop into that yapping Yankees time machine and recap this... I'm trying to think of a word. Turbulent? Weird week the Yankees had? Because, obviously, it was not a pleasant series against the Mets. And wasn't a pleasant ending to the Royals weekend this weekend with this four-game set, but they did still manage to win three out of four, so that's a positive. But really weird. So after last Sunday, the Yankees did go three and three this past week, so I guess at the end, just an okay week. I guess that's what you could call it. So yeah, let's call it that. Let's recap this okay past week for the Yankees. Although I guess one could argue that acquiring Ben Benintendi also just making a move makes it a little better than just okay, especially the timing of it coming after a really tough loss. Yeah, screw it. Let's stick with okay. <laughs> Let's jump into the Yapping Yankees time machine and recap this okay week. Let's go.
All right, so like I said, this past week for the Yankees, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. <laughs> but the game's in Queens, which is where we start, because after last Sunday, obviously the Yankees had a very nice win against the Orioles, one that was a little needed at the time. Not very needed, because the Yankees obviously were still in a great position, as they have been for 90% of the season. But it was just nice for them after the prior few games of struggling, to get a really nice commanding victory in Baltimore. So they had a nice day off on Monday. And going into Tuesday was the first game of two in City Field against the Mets. Now, if you remember last week's episode, the main thing I said was that if there's a game in this series, this quick two-game set, that I expect the Yankees to win, it was this game on Tuesday. Obviously because of the pitching matchup on Wednesday being Herman and Scherzer, which wasn't as laughable as we all anticipated it being, but obviously the game still resulted in a loss as we know, but the better pitching matchup obviously was this one. Taiwan Walker against Montgomery. Obviously the Yankees have a very good chance of winning this game. The Yankees have a very good chance of winning most games because they are still the best team in baseball, but or at least tied for with the Dodgers if they won today. Let me see... Did the Dodgers actually beat the Rockies today? They did. So I'm going to actually check the standings now that I got caught up on that statement. Yeah, as of the Dodgers winning today, there's 673 winning percentage. Yankees are 670. The Yankees do have one more win, but also one more loss because they've played more games. So whatever you want to say about it. Winning percentage-wise, the Dodgers are, I mean, <laughs> what, barely better? But still, nonetheless, it's virtually a tie. But you get my point. The Yankees have a great chance of winning most games that they play in. So that was the original point I was trying to make. <laughs> but anyways, so you go into this game feeling pretty good. And Montgomery, of course, prior to the last handful of starts, was still obviously just a very consistent starter. Well, this game, he didn't have it. And the very unfortunate thing was that the Yankees actually had an amazing start because right away in the top of the first inning, and you just thought the Yankees were going to take control here, Aaron Judge and Anthony Rizzo, both with back-to-back -back solo shots, made it 2 to nothing right away. Before you could even blink, jumped right out in front. Judge with his 38th at the time and Rizzo with his 23rd. You're like, all right, let's get rocking and rolling. Montgomery have a clean inning in the first and just go from there. Keep on adding on. And that is not what happened because right away in the bottom of the first, Montgomery just fell apart. <laughs> fell apart. Starling Marte, solo shot, 2-1. to one. Peter Alonso, RBI double, 2-2. Two to two. And then Eduardo Escobar. Now, everybody else answer this question for me because I got to see if everybody was feeling the same way as me. Did anybody think, other than myself, that this ball was not gone off the bat? <laughs> I know some people speculate that the juiced balls that were being used years ago before they deadened the balls just about a year or two ago. But some people were speculating... They still do. That for big series played, they rejuice the baseballs. And you know what? I can't really... There's really no confirmation or denial of this. <laughs> so it's kind of tough to say whether they actually do or don't. And even, even if baseball says that they don't, you know, it's not wouldn't be the first time they lied before. Or, you know, just they just weren't honest. So I'm inclined to believe that that could be a possibility. I'm not just saying because of this, but in a lot of other big series, a lot of balls off the bat that just don't seem to carry at all in just your typical average series. And then in big series, it just seems like the ball just has an unbelievable amount of carry and it just jumps off the bat. I don't know. 
This ball just looked like an automatic double off the bat, but my god, it got out of there before you knew it. It's really weird. But anyways, Eduardo Escobar, two-run shot, made it 4-2 to in the first inning. Talk about completely choking. Jordan Montgomery, terrible. On the bottom of the third, the Mets would add on another run thanks to a throwing error by Josh Donaldson, as if he needs anything else to pile on to his already disgraceful gameplay for the better part of the last couple of months now for Donaldson. And the only thing basically keeping him afloat at this point is his tendency to play some pretty good defense. He even had this throwing error and hit Lindor in the back running down the first base. So... The man, Josh Donaldson, who just really looks like he needs to retire immediately, <laughs> just adds another L to his ledger of L's. So the Mets took a 5-2 lead after that. Then at the top of the fourth, the Yankees got another run back on an RBI ground up by DJ to make it 5-3, to three, but then just nothing happened for the rest of the game. Jeff McNeil hit an RBI single in the bottom of the eighth to add on one more for the Mets, and that would do it. The Mets would win 6-3. to three. Just not a good outing for Montgomery at all. I mean, obviously, one of the runs was unearned because of the Donaldson error, but just not good stuff. He only lasted two and a third innings. After the game, he, in puzzling fashion, said that he thought he was throwing some decent pitches. Well, if he meant decent pitches to get hit, then yeah, I'd agree. But his location was just horrible. And when Montgomery leaves those change-ups up, when he leaves the sinker up, and plus he's not that hard of a thrower at all, so when he leaves these things up, They're just like throwing meatballs right down the plate. They're going to get crushed, and they did. These weren't no tiny hits the Mets were getting. He was getting hit hard. The one positive of that night was how good the bullpen looked, and they had to eat quite a bit of innings because Montgomery didn't even make it out of the third inning. Marinaccio, who obviously is just back not long ago from his dead arm, he looked fantastic, an inning and two-thirds scoreless. Loisega, an inning scoreless. Loisega's looked a a little better lately. I said he's been a big X factor for me, that if he finds his stuff, Loisega's my boy. I'm believing in him. And he could definitely help cover the loss of King, too. And he looked good again today, like I said. So if Loisega continues on this trend, that's a big thing for the Yankees. Chapman pitched a scoreless inning, and I have to say, despite all of my launch Chapman to the sun comments, just launch him. (laughs) Done with him. I do have to say he's shown some better control lately. I'm still not a fan of his. I haven't been for some time now. I've, I've been out on him for quite some time now. But I would just be denying the truth if I said that he hasn't had better command lately, because he has. He's looked a little better the last couple of times out there. Wandy Peralta pitched an inning scoreless. He just hasn't been good lately, but he was on this night. And then Albert Abreu in the 8th just gave up that one run on the RBI single by McNeil. But other than that, the bullpen really held up well. They really did for the amount of innings they had to eat. And then you sprinkle that in with the fact that the Yankees just blew a ton of scoring chances, which would be a big theme on Wednesday as well. Just not a good first game in Queens. Not a good one. And then you go into Wednesday with little to no confidence because, again, the pitching matchup being Max Scherzer, Against Domingo Herman and Max Scherzer did just about as good as we expected him to. Seven shutout innings. I will say one thing, though. I will say one thing. The Yankees, and I will give it to the Mets. I'm not taking anything away from them when I say this comment. This is just the truth. The Yankees did barrel quite a few baseballs off of Scherzer. 
and just ran into a lot of bad luck, just hitting balls right at guys, or right at guys on one hop in the infield, or just line drives right at people, whether it be in the infield or the outfield. They barreled up a few. DJ barreled up some, Glaber Hill, laser to center field, and these were in big situations too that could have been game-altering moments. And they just happen to be right at people. I'm talking 110 miles an hour off the bat, 109 miles an hour off the bat, and just right at people. Just wasn't going the Yankees' way. It was pretty obvious after a while that it just wasn't meant to be. <laughs> so, even though Scherzer had himself a good start in the sense, seven inning shutout, really great start, and made his big pitches in the big moments like his Hall of Fame self does. But the Yankees did barrel real good a few pitches off him in big moments. And the Yankees did get their base runners off him because he did walk two guys. He gave up five hits. So the Yankees had their chances, like I said. And in those chances, when they barreled those up, they just happened to be right at people. Again, not taking anything away from the Mets with that. That's baseball. It happens. You hit line drives right at guys. It sucks, but hey, it's still an out. That's why baseball can be frustrating sometimes. And I jokingly put out a tweet this night saying, I just hate baseball so much sometimes, even though I really don't, obviously. But it just drives me insane sometimes. You could do everything right at the plate and hit a ball right on the freaking screws and just get nothing to show for it, especially in a big moment. Makes it even more frustrating. And that was a big story on Wednesday night's game in Queens. But Scherzer had himself a nice start, and believe it or not, even though he didn't go too deep, it's hard to expect him to considering how much time he missed, but Herman didn't have a bad start either. We all expected him to implode, and... In a couple innings, especially early on, it looked like he was going to, but he never really allowed an implosion to take place. He did go four and two-thirds, and the runs that he did allow were on a solo shot by Pete Alonso in the bottom of the second, which isn't surprising because Herman is mainly known for giving up his home runs, and an RBI single by Lindor in the bottom of the third. But other than that, he did his thing. I'm going to be real honest with you. He really did. Four and two-thirds, the five hits, only two runs, seven strikeouts, not a bad job for Herman, especially given what we were all expecting. And he did the main thing that really is all we could ask for, and that's keep the Yankees in the game. And he did, because through damn near five innings of work, only two runs? That's not a bad start. It's not terrific, but it's not bad at all. Especially considering what we all thought would happen. I'm pretty sure by the fifth inning, we expected it to be seven to nothing. <laughs> or regardless how many runs the Yankees scored, just... Having a lot of runs on the board for the Mets. That's what we expected, bottom line. But he did not implode. Main problem was with this game is that before and after the Mets scored those two runs, the Yankees had countless opportunities, including at times where they hit lasers right at people. But whether that happened or not, the Yankees had opportunities for what felt like every single inning throughout Scherzer's start, and they just couldn't break through especially in situations that despite the great, incomprehensible season he's having, that people will undoubtedly never forget, Aaron Judge, when he stepped to the plate against Scherzer in big moments with runners on base, and there were more than one of them, Scherzer dominated him in this game. I mean, he dominated everybody when a big moment came around, whether or not they barreled him up or not, but I mean, he just dominated Judge more so than anybody. Judge could not hit him. The sliders, Judge, I'm pretty sure 95% of the pitches he saw were sliders. I think he got one fastball, maybe a changeup at some point. Everything else was sliders. Everything. <laughs> not kidding. So, 
and he just he couldn't read it, couldn't hit it, and Scherzer just struck him out over and over and over again. Struck him out three times. Five men left on base just from Judge alone, which you can't crap on the guy with the season he's having. But against Scherzer, he was... <laughs> Scherzer made his pitches. I'll leave it at that. He made his pitches against Judge. And he did against everybody else as well, even though he did get barreled up a few times, like I said. The Yankees did finally manage to get on the board, though. A big hit. Top of the eighth. Glaber Torres hit a game-tying two-run shot off of David Peterson. So, at this point, you're saying, oh, the Yankees have a chance. They finally put some runs up on the board, a big home run. Maybe that took the wind out of the Mets' sails a little bit because they were so in control. Now the Yankees retied it. Unfortunately not. (laughs) Because in the bottom of the ninth, now the Yankees used Clay Holmes in the eighth inning. At this point... I was kind of like, not. I was kind of not really understanding it, and I said as much on Twitter, and then I had some people, I had some discussion with people, and I'm open for this happening, always, just like I am on this show, I'm open for it on Twitter, of course, as long as it's res- respectful, I definitely appreciate respectful debate and discussion, I'm always down for it, always, and when you go on my Twitter account, I'm, I always am, you can see it for yourself, until it gets a little over the top and completely disrespectful and out of hand and name calling and all that crap, that's when I get obnoxious or back out, usually back out. But, because there's, there's just no need for that. We're debating a game here. It, it should be respectful, level-headed debate. So, I was basically just questioning at first, I was like, why is, he, why is he using Clay Holmes in the eighth inning? Because even though a lot of people don't like the thought of designated bullpen roles, we spoke about this a little bit before, Clay Holmes has been your closest thing to a closer for multiple months now. So you'd think that, especially on the road, maybe he saves him for the ninth inning, if there is a ninth, bottom of the ninth being, because the Mets were home. But a lot of people were saying how it was the best part of the Mets lineup and they wanted to use the best pitcher against the best part of the lineup. And I I, I can understand that. I can understand that. So I, I backed down on that a little bit. And, and Clay Holmes did pitch. It's not a criticism towards Clay Holmes. It's, not, it's, it's a criticism at the time against the Yankees for using him when they did. But Clay Holmes did his job. And I, and I can certainly understand people saying... Because of the part of the lineup that it was, you want your best pitcher against their best part of the lineup, and it worked out. And Boone explained that as well. And, I, and I'm, listen, I'm willing to have my mind changed or just think a different way. That, that's possible, and it was that way on this night. So I was like, fine, it's whatever. But this was also another part of me just saying before how Wandy Peralta just has not been himself lately. He just has not been good. Bottom of, bottom of the ninth, he came out after the Yankees could not get a run across in the ninth inning. The only base runner they got in the ninth inning was a single by DJ. Shocker, because he's been so damn good lately. But Wandy Peralta came out just trying to hold the game at two, and he didn't. <laughs> Eduardo Escobar led off the inning with a double, a hard line drive to left. Tomas Nito sack bunted him over the third. Brandon Nimmo got an infield single which was really annoying, definitely could have been fielded properly, but wasn't. And then Starling Marte, who many of you know, I have wanted for the better part of two years now, and the Yankees just did not ever get him. Hit an RBI single to walk it off as he continues to haunt me. (laughs) So, two very, 
annoying games in City Field. Yankees got swept in the quick two-game set. Obviously never fun against the Mets, but I do see a lot of people making comparisons to me. I had somebody on Twitter say this to me yesterday, saying, oh, they can't hold up. The Yankees can't hold up with the Astros and the Mets. They're 2-7 and seven against them combined. Listen, it's obvious that the Yankees have an Astros issue. I said as much many times, <laughs> so I'm not going to deny that. But I'm not going to put as much stock in that statement when it comes to the Mets because, first of all, it's only two games. And second of all, even though, again, I'm not taking anything away from the Mets, they're a great team. They won the games. They battled out two nice victories against the Yankees, not taking anything away. But not only is it just two games, but they were also all within three runs of each other. Both the games. Most of the first game was within two runs, and the Yankees actually jumped out early in that one. And then the second game was neck and neck all the way to the bottom of the ninth when the Mets came out with the victory. And both of those games were the Yankees throwing out two of their weaker starters. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying the truth. That's what happened. (laughs) Those were the circumstances, were they not? And are Jordan Montgomery and Domingo Herman not a couple of their weaker starters? They are. One of the games the Mets had Scherzer going. Again, not making excuses, but that's the way it went. And because mainly it's only two games, they have two more games left to play against them at Yankee Stadium. We'll see what happens with those. But I'm not going to put as much stock into that as I do with the team against the Astros, a team we played a few times more and definitely got more of a read on the matchup between them. And with the Astros, it's more than obvious, it's the Yankee hitters that have just failed against them because the Yankee pitching has actually decently kept them down in the vast majority of the games they played against each other. And especially in the second game in in this Mets series, it's the Yankee hitters as well. But then, like I said, the Yankees got some help with trading for Benintendi right after Wednesday, which definitely helped. Helped pick up the mood, so I appreciate Cashman for that. And it really helped pick up the mood throughout the whole Yankee community. Because, honestly, after it happened, I was really happy about it to the point where I had even forgotten that the Yankees just lost a really crappy game. (laughs) I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Looking forward. Yeah, crappy series. Nobody wants to get swept, even if it's just in a two-game set against the Mets, if you're a Yankee fan. And I'm sure the Mets wouldn't like it if it were vice versa. But it's whatever. Two more games against each other, and then unless they meet again in the World Series, they won't even see each other again. So, yeah, just an an annoying series in Queens. Just really annoying. Montgomery falling apart just really put a big tone on the first game, even though the offense definitely could have afforded to come back and blew a lot of chances in the first game as well. And in the second game, the offense, again, just not really coming through. Domingo Herman doing much better than we thought he would. Not being perfect, but he did much better than we thought he would do. And then come the end of the game, the Yankees were only able to put up two runs in a Glaber two-run shot after they had had countless scoring opportunities. And then Wandy Peralta gave it up in the end. Just hasn't been sharp himself. So, it's whatever. That was the Mets series. Not a fun time. Yankees would return to Yankee Stadium for this weekend's four-game set against the Royals. And on Thursday, this Royals game, I tell you, had to be one of, if not the most boring games of 2022. (laughs) This pitching matchup was Jameson Tyone 
against Brady Singer, and Brady Singer did a fantastic job against the Yankee offense. Jameson Tyone did a nice job against the Royals offense. Nice to finally see him have a bounce back start. Six innings shutout, eight strikeouts, four hits allowed. Lowered his ERA down to 372. And after him, Marinaccio pitched two scoreless as he continued to dominate. And Clay Holmes pitched a scoreless ninth walking two guys. Again, a part of just saying his command has looked a little off lately, but it was a scoreless inning. And he would ultimately get the win. So both pitchers did a fantastic job. And the only run that scored in the whole night was the walk-off solo shot by Aaron Judge in the bottom of the ninth. His 39th home run of the year. And the Yankees would quite simply win one to nothing. I mean, that's that for the first game. That's all that happened. Really good pitching, dead offenses, Aaron Judge capping off a victory in the end. (laughs) The second game. This game was almost a really bad loss until the Royals being a bad team ultimately helped the Yankees out and then the Yankee offense exploded in the end. That's more or less a brief recap of it, if if I had to give a brief recap. But Garrett Cole started this game for the Yankees. Given an early lead on a solo shot in the bottom of the first by Rizzo for his 24th of the year, and a two-run shot by Aaron Judge, I mean, who the hell else, his 40th of the year in the bottom of the third to make it 3 to nothing, And he was looking good. He would end up going six innings on the night, but in that fifth inning, between yet another fielding mistake, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa had more than one in this game, and both of them could have very easily been called errors, but they were both called hits. So, really got bailed out there, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, with his... Continued, I would say, okay defense at best. Despite how little he still does at the plate. I mean, I don't mean to just really harp on him, but I mean, for a while now, you guys have known that I just haven't been a big fan of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa's gameplay. And I've had so many people explain, both to everybody else who's not a big fan of him and to myself, oh, he's just a stopgap, he's a placeholder, and he's serviceable at that. I'm sorry. I I just don't think he's a good baseball player. Sorry. I just don't. And even the hitting streak he just had, which ended in the mid-teens. I mean, he had an OPS below 700 during that hitting streak. When have you ever heard of that? And most of the game's only just one hit, probably a single, if that. You're not getting anything more than a double out of him because the guy has no power. So just even just a a crappy hitting streak... (laughs) I mean, even though he had a hitting streak, it just wasn't it wasn't a good one. And if you look at the way that he fields, I mean, yeah, he'll make a nice play on difficult plays, but especially on the routine ones, which is even more baffling. Those are the ones where he just completely throws the ball away or just drops the ball. I don't know what happens to him. I don't know if it's just a matter of focusing or not focusing, rather, but he's botched a lot of routine plays, and... He's just not as great on defense as people want to make him out to be. He's not as great. And I don't know, there are just certain people out there who have this, like, certain fascination about him. I don't really know what's fascinating. The guy will give you a single or a double here and there, mostly a single. He won't do too much for you on defense except for the occasional nice play. And I know some people view that as serviceable for a stopgap, but it's kind of annoying when you have someone like Oswald Peraza or Oswaldo Cabrera down in the minors raking. You can call him up whenever you want. And then you just have to see like mediocre, if that, gameplay from Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. 
along with his trading partner, Josh Donaldson, who it has been established for a long time now, really looks like he needs to retire. Completely overmatched at the plate. And anytime the Yankees have something cooking, it feels like, offensively, he comes up to the plate and he's just like, nah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Just not, I'm not a fan of that trade. I, I wasn't from day one. You guys know I had my doubts about that. And I know I've just sort of turned this into a Isaiah kiner falefa and Donaldson trade discussion since talking about Isaiah kiner falefas defensive mistakes in the second game against the Royals. But you guys know it, and you can go back to that episode. I thought at that time the only main good thing about that trade was getting rid of Gary. I was just, I was iffy about taking on that Donaldson money, even though he had a pretty good year last year, but he's just a year older, and I, I didn't know what to really expect of him. At his age, a decline is always possible, which we've clearly seen. Yeah, there's injury history to factor in as well, and since his latest injury, that's mainly when he just hasn't been the same at all. And a lot of people were making a bigger deal about Kiner Falefa than I thought was worth making. I don't really know. And it was just irritating after the legendary historic shortstop class that the Yankees chose to pass up on. But, I don't know, it's looking it's looking pretty iffy. I know it's basically a wash when you compare Gio Urshela, who the Yankees got rid of in that trade alongside Gary, and Donaldson. It's kind of a wash there with third base, but I'm just, I'm, Donaldson's robbing money. He's robbing money. I put out a tweet yesterday that he should come out with a book titled How to Rob Over $20 Million and Get Away With It. And I know there are a lot of past Yankees that could also have written that book, but I mean, it's, it's happening again right now. And the guy's showing no signs of improvement. He only gets worse. And Isaiah kiner falefa doesn't really do anything for me either. He just doesn't. A lot of people will sing until the cows come home about how he's a serviceable shortstop for what he is, and that's just what he is. He's just not that good a baseball player. <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. Just look at the stats, dude. People will tout batting average. And while I'm not one of those people, I've said this many times, I'm not one of those people will go in your face and say that batting average doesn't matter. I do believe it has value, but it is certainly not the end-all be-all. And when you look at all of his other stats, his 270-ish batting average, if you even care about it personally, that's really all that he has to tout about. And it should be much higher than that. If that's what you want to talk about with him and say that average is his main thing, well, for batting average, 270 is awfully, it's just like, okay. If you wanted his batting average to be serviceable for, you know, making up for all the other things that he doesn't do, I would expect at least a 300 or 310 batting average, but he's nowhere near that. I just don't think he's that good of a baseball player. I really don't. And the fact that he has no home runs going to August 1st, listen, home runs are certainly not end-all, be-all for me, too. I love them. Everybody loves them. Who doesn't like a home run? But I also think it's pretty dumb to not have a single home run when you've been playing the entire season and tomorrow's August 1st. I think that's a little ridiculous. <laughs> that's just me, though. I know he has his fans out there. I don't dislike the guy personally, just like I don't dislike Gallo personally. Personally meaning as people. Even though they drive me insane doesn't mean I don't like them as people. Um, I know they were very excited to be here when they were first brought here. I mean, I appreciate that, but I just, I'm not a big fan of Kiner Falefa. 
I obviously root for him and everybody else who drives me insane because they're on my team. I want them to succeed because I want my team to succeed. That's a given. But it doesn't mean I, I really like the way they play the game. I don't like it. And again, Josh Donaldson, his trade mate, needs to retire as well. Just the left side of the infield, not a big fan of it for defense or offense really right now, especially offense. Because Donaldson still has it that he plays decent defense sometimes. But anyways, went off on that real tangent just based off the fact that Isaiah Conner-Falefa got away with having two things that could have been called errors, called hits in this game. The second game against the Yankees and the Royals, but that all took place in the fifth inning. And it really spiraled out of control when Isaiah Conner-Falefa missed that play and, and Garrett Cole also let the inning get out of control, which he himself will tell you he shouldn't have let happen, but he did. Whit Merrifield... Hit a two-run single, made a 3-2, to two, and then Salvador Perez, eerily familiar to today's game here on Sunday, hit a go-ahead three-run shot to make it 5-3. to three. An absolute nuke that I don't even know how he hit, to be honest with you, because the pitch was nearly at the letters at 100 miles an hour from Garrett Cole's, a fastball. And the guy just nuked it towards the deepest part of the ballpark. <laughs> so that made it 5-3. to three. But fortunately, because the Royals are a very bad team and made a crap ton of errors this weekend, mainly in this inning alone, in the bottom of the eighth, with those errors combined, and because the Yankee offense, they just didn't want to give up. Even after a rain delay, the Yankee offense came back out in the bottom of the eighth, and they really just let the Royals have it. I mean, there's really no other way of saying it. Andrew Benintendi. First hit as a Yankee, an RBI single in the infield made it 5-4. to four. Aaron Hicks walked with the bases loaded. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, rare moment coming through, but I'll take it when it happens. He hit a go-ahead RBI single to make it 6-5. to five. I'm always very happy when something like that happens, because I know I can't expect too much out of him. Jose Trevino hit a ground ball to drive in Benintendi to make it 7-5. to five. And then Aaron Judge, with his 41st home run of the year being a grand freaking slam, <laughs> made it 11-5. to In the end, eight runs scored in the eighth inning, eight unanswered runs, and the Yankees would win by that final score, 11-5. to Garrett Cole's final line, even though the fifth inning was his only bad one, was six innings, five runs, all earned. Did strike out nine guys, but... He has his clunkers here and there. Like I said before, he has his bad innings. Uh, sometimes he gets he lets it get out of control, even if not all of it is his fault. But not good stuff. And then after that, again, the bullpen, I should mention this as well, again held it down. Aroldis Chapman, another, another scoreless inning in the seventh. Albert Abreu, he would get the win on the night, a scoreless eighth. And Wandy Peralta, a scoreless ninth, the best he has looked in some time. And then lastly, yesterday, since I mainly talked about today's game already, I won't bore you with it again. Yesterday's game was a very comfortable win, very nice day, just really fun game. Nestor Cortez, he didn't necessarily have his best stuff, but he battled, still made it through five innings, earning his ninth win of the year. Five innings, five hits, only two runs, and five strikeouts kept the Royals under control, even though the game definitely could have gotten out of hand here and there, but he didn't allow it to happen. Just grinded and found his way through. Aroldis Chapman worked a scoreless sixth again, so just speaking the facts, even though I am not an Aroldis Chapman guy, he has been more in control lately. And then Clark Schmidt, 
who I said, again, continues to prove it. I was the one that said, if there's going to be someone out in the bullpen that can most similarly replace Michael King in his role and what he usually does, it is Clark Schmidt because of being stretched out as a starter in AAA also, but also because of his ability to go multiple innings out of the bullpen and do it effectively at that, like Michael King did so often. And he did it again here, just doing exactly what I expected of him. And I assume he will continue to going forward. Three scoreless innings to end the game, five strikeouts. And because he did that, he did earn a save. His second earned his first a couple of weeks ago. And the offense just made this game a pleasure to watch. Bottom of the first, DJ started things off with a leadoff home run, his 10th of the year, as he continues his tear that he has been on for most of the year, mainly the last couple of months. But he is he's just having a great year. He's having a really good year, and it's great to watch. Glaber Torres, RBI double made it two to nothing. Bottom of the second, Aaron Judge with his 42nd and most recent home run into the right field seats, made it four to nothing, two run shot. Top of the third, the Royals got on the board with the Salvador Perez sacrifice fly to make it four to one. Top of the fourth, Garcia with an RBI single to make it four to two. And the bats piled on even more after that. Bottom of the fourth, DJ. RBI single made it 5-2. Benintendi, sack fly, made it 6-2. Sack fly, the hit the night before, a crap ton of walks, a stolen base today. He had himself a nice weekend. Bottom of the sixth, on a stolen base attempt by Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Salvador Perez threw the ball into the outfield, allowing Kiner-Falefa to score to make it 7-2. And then in the bottom of the seventh, because why not? Little sign is slowing down the last few days. Nah. (laughs) Matt Carpenter. Goes deep again. His 15th home run of the year. Unbelievable. Since he has been to the Yankees, we have given him no shortage of credit at all, and especially in the month of July. What a month he had now that it is officially wrapped up. His 15th of the year made it 8-2, a solo shot, and that would be the final score. Spoke about today's game before, and we're caught up, my friends. And I'm basically over today's loss at this point. I mean, when I first started the episode, it was very fresh. You know, obviously, a loss like that, watching Clay Holmes not really have sharp command and just blow another, just not really... It's not fun. (laughs) Nobody wants to see that. But it's whatever. You know, they won three out of four. Trade deadlines on Tuesday, and hopefully they acquire some pitching help. And you go from there. Bounce back tomorrow, starting with the Seattle Mariners. And speaking of the Mariners, what is ahead for the next week, you might ask? Well, I will tell you. Tomorrow night, August 1st, a new month. The Yankees kick off a three-game set against the Mariners. Domingo Herman will take the mound, try to continue his good work that he had against the Mets. Against Marco Gonzalez, hopefully the Yankees can scratch off a win there. That game will be at 7.05 Eastern tomorrow night. Tuesday. The second will also be a 7 o'clock game. The pitching matchup for that game is said to be Tyone against Logan Gilbert. And Wednesday the 3rd will be at 105. I hate weekday day games, but whatever. Guess I have to deal with it. The matchup on Wednesday will be a good one. It's Garrett Cole against the man who the Mariners just acquired and the Yankees strongly had their eye on, as did many other teams, Luis Castillo. <laughs> So that should be interesting after Luis Castillo completely carved up the Yankee hitters when the Reds were in town. So we'll see what they could do against him on Wednesday. Should be interesting. Thursday, the Yankees are actually off. A rarity. (laughs) Friday, 
The Yankees start a three-game set on the road in St. Louis against the Cardinals. Got some interleague play. This will be the start of a West Coast swing for the Yankees. Things getting a little bit tougher in August. Good test for the team. I don't have a problem with it. Friday's game will be at 8.15 Eastern. The starters for these games have not been announced. Saturday will be at 7.15. And Sunday, when we speak again on August 7th, the game will be at 2.15 Eastern. And that'll be when I come at you with episode 149. One episode off of 150 here on Yapping Yankees. How about that, huh? All right, so that is the recap. And what is ahead for the next week, guys? The only thing left to talk about, really, is our social media segment because we basically hit on everything else. And as you can imagine, with the deadline just a couple of days away, the discussion is going to mainly be centered around that. Had a question for you this week. Not a poll or a Q&A, but just an open-ended question for you. Wanted to see what your thoughts were. So the open-ended question for the social media segment was... Now that the Yanks have already acquired Benintendi for outfield help and lineup help, and now that Castillo is off the starting pitching market, who else would you like to see the Yankees acquire before Tuesday's deadline? Now, I basically more or less already gave my takes on this. I would love Frankie Montes, and if the Giants are willing to sell him, I would love Carlos Rodon. Definitely wouldn't mind Pablo Lopez either. I wouldn't really expect that, though. I don't really want Jose Quintana. His name has been linked with the Yankees a little bit. Not a fan of that. And for bullpen help, I was, I'm still pulling for David Robertson, but I know a lot of people also did mention the whole drama with the playoff shares the last time he was here and how we didn't leave on good terms. That is definitely fair. It's just more of which would you like to see, not whether it's something the Yankees would be willing to do because of past gripes that they might have had personally with the players in the case of Robertson, but what would you like to see the Yankees do before Tuesday's deadline? So Benintendi's off the board. I do not see Juan Soto happening. I see it happening even less now after the Benintendi move. I see it happening even less. And I say even less because I already didn't even see it happening before that. As much as I would have loved it and would still love it, obviously, it's Juan freaking Soto, but between what you'd have to give up for him and just knowing how the Yankees operate, just... I don't know, I just, I never saw it happening, so I'm not surprised that it hasn't, and I wouldn't be surprised if ultimately it doesn't, which I don't expect it to. But, I'm just basically going to reiterate what I said before, with the names I just threw out there, and maybe others in the comments will have even more names to throw out there, but pitching is needed. And that's the title for today's episode, and that's basically the main subject, especially with the social media segment based on the trade deadline, which again, is in two days on the 2nd, so when I speak to you next Sunday on the 7th, it will long have passed, and we can talk about anything else that happens between now and Tuesday by the time next Sunday rolls around and I talk to you again, but pitching is needed. All those names I threw out there, I'm open to anything. Alrighty, let's get started here. I'll read out maybe like 10 of them, because we're already like an hour and 15 minutes in almost. Oh my god. Let's start off with Rebecca at Peace Now for Life, and she says, Bring me Montes and David Robertson, and I'll be happy. Soto is a pipe dream. Don't see it happening and never did. Need pitching help. A solid number two and a bullpen piece, and we are rolling to a championship. I'd be totally fine with that too, Rebecca, as you could hear from what I said. Montes and Robertson, that'd be awesome. And maybe Montes wouldn't have to cost as much, because Montes has had a bit of an injury history, which of course I don't like especially given the Yankees' prior injury issues, even though this year has been mostly fine. Of course, uh, 
knock on wood a little bit there. <laughs> but Montes is having a great season. And obviously when it comes to his contract situation, you have certain guys like Benintendi. When it comes to other moves that were made, Benintendi's a rental, for instance. Some other guys out there are rentals. Montes still has one year left of arbitration. So in 2023, if you were to acquire him now, there's another year of arbitration. Keep him for 2023. And then he's a free agent for 2024. But that could be the deal now. You could acquire him for this deadline in 22. Arbitration still set for 2023. He's making just over $5 million right now. So maybe just the one more year left of arbitration will drive the price up a bit on him, but maybe the the little injury history could bring it down a bit more. Who knows? I mean, we'll ultimately see if a move is made, what kind of package it'll cost. It's impossible to tell before it happens. But yeah, Robertson I would love to for the bullpen, especially because you start to consider after the way we've seen him for a little bit of time now is Clay Holmes being overworked a little bit. Our innings in general getting to other guys like, you know, Nestor Cortez is about to hit his high. You know, certain guys are pitching more than they ever have or more than they have in a long time. Luis Severino, prior to his injury, had already far surpassed anything he's done in almost a half a decade. So these are factors you have to consider. The Yankees just need pitching help. But they're just a couple of moves away, guys. Just get Stanton back from injury. You know, even, I know a lot of people are mentioning this, and I'm, I'm inclined to agree because a lot of people out there agree with me on my Isaiah Conner-Falefa assessment. I could call it, I guess. But you have guys in AAA who seem to be ready. Give Oswald Peraza a shot, for all I know. I mean, if he doesn't get dealt before the deadline. You, know, you also have a guy like Oswaldo Cabrera. Just give him a shot. Because you can't have much less done offensively than Isaiah Conner-Falefa. So maybe you give someone else a shot at shortstop, but even that's not absolutely needed. I think it's more imperative you get guys like Stanton back, a humongous difference maker like him. Make a move for the starting rotation because you need a starter. Someone to help out Cole and Nestor at that top of the rotation and really solidify a top one, two, three punch. And when you get Severino back, even though you can't totally rely on him because of the injuries and the little that he's pitched the last few years, but you get him back after some time off, some needed time off, after the innings he already had in his arm. That could be a solid one through four before you know it. You need starting pitching help. I'm iffy with allowing Montgomery to get a start in the playoffs, for instance. I'm I'm iffy with that. I know he's been mainly consistent. A lot of people might crap on me for that, but I don't know. Just not really trusting him when when it comes to the playoffs. I know Montgomery is good for what he is, a solid number four. Some people even see him as a five, whatever. I see him as a four at best at this point. But they just, they need pitching help. Because if Montgomery, if you could have the pitching help that could allow you to have Montgomery as a five, that's a good rotation. So they need the pitching help and some some help out in the bullpen for pitching as well. David Robertson would definitely cut that. Up next, we have at the Danny Velez saying, David Robertson, he's World Series tested and Yankees tested. Go get him and bolster the pen. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. We said, we've spoken all about him. He's obviously been here before. He knows what it takes. He's won a title here. So yeah, I totally agree. At Frank Oliveri says, Montes or Pablo Lopez? So starting rotation, those are two solid names. At Javier114 says Montes. Yeah, I'm going to get a lot of this. I, I imagine that. 
My friend Rob at Laker 477 says either Montes or Rodon and D-Rob for the bullpen. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. If the Giants are down for selling Rodon, put together a package for him and figure it out. I would definitely be down for Rodon. Big strikeout guy, big intimidating, hard-throwing lefty. I'd be down for that. At Yankee Ken says Montes. I'm fine with that. At MD Nelly says, not Jose Quintana for the love of God. (laughs) I agree. I agree, Mike. At Newt Zachary says, Montes and Rodon and a pipe dream of Soto. At least I I appreciate you acknowledging that Soto is basically a pipe dream. Listen, like I said before, I'll let people dream about it. They're not doing any harm to me by doing so. But, and I'm not going to crap on them saying that, oh, that'd be a great thing to do because, I mean, it would. It's Juan Soto, but it's just, it's not happening, guys. <laughs> but uh, Montes and Rodon, I'd say or, you're not going to get both of them, I have to imagine, if you deal for either one of them. But yeah, either of those names I'd be happy with. Spencer at Musician DMD says, I'm finding myself overthinking the question. Okay. It's easy to look around Major League Baseball and choose players who we want. As you know, We also have to ask, who are we willing to give up? What impact do we expect that player to have? Do they fit in? And what's the long term, two to three years from now? That said, I think pitching needs outweigh hitting needs. I could agree with that, especially after making a move for Ben Intendi already. And then Spencer continued to say, for reasons that, in my opinion, so obvious to Yankee fans, I won't bore you by going through them. I'm pretty sure I, I pretty much have hit on them as best as possible. So hopefully I gave away a lot of your thoughts, Spencer. But yeah, I agree. At this point, especially making the move for Benintendi, pitching is what's needed. And they got to make a move. Cashman's got to do something about the pitching. Tomorrow, Monday, is the second to last day, of course, to do anything because the deadline is Tuesday. So something needs to be done. Of course, it depends on the package that would it would take to acquire these guys. And that's why ultimately Cashman did not deal for Castillo because it would have costed a Volpe and or Dominguez and or a Waldachuk or somebody else in the top five like Peraza with those other names and then maybe a lower end one, maybe around 10 or 11 because nobody does the Yankees any favors, of course, as we know. So it was steep, the price. So yeah, that definitely has an effect on things as well. You can't deny that. But yeah, just for namesake, yeah, pitching is needed and a lot of the names that I mentioned... And the names that everybody else continues to mention on top of that, definitely, I'm on board with it. Let's see. At Alex Dineho 3 says, Carlos Rodon, that's my dream. I uh, definitely understand that. (laughs) And I would appreciate that. At Royce Boscombe says, Soto or Otani? Those both aren't happening to me. Yeah, because I've I've seen a lot of people mentioning Otani. That's just, it's not going to happen. I don't see the Angels getting rid of him this deadline at least or anytime soon or at all. I, I just don't really see it happening. Plus, Otani made it a point when he first came over to the States that he doesn't want to be in this environment. He doesn't want to be in the environment of New York, the East Coast. He doesn't want to be. So if that still holds true for him... You know, environment matters for a player, too. I don't want somebody to be here if they don't want to be here. Some people forget that about Otani. That's very important. I don't want somebody here who's not going to work out the environment because it's going to be a disaster. That plays a big part for some players. So, and plus, with the way that the season's going so far, just saying this right now, 
as of August 1st, because by the time you listen to this episode, it'll probably be August 1st, most likely. At this point in time, if Otani wins the American League MVP over Aaron Judge, even though the vast majority or all of Aaron Judge's numbers are better, solely because Otani can pitch and hit, I will officially never view that award seriously again. Just putting that out there now that I see Otani's name, because that is just a thought that I've had for some time now. And there are some people actually out there that feel that Otani deserves it more than Judge for some reason. I can't tell you why. Anyways, next. <laughs> At Bolted Upright says Frankie Montes. You know I agree with that. It's tough to disagree with people wanting him. At Paolo Pilio says, definitely one of Montes or Lopez Contreras even for catching. I don't really see a need for that. I'm fine with Trevino. And maybe Felix Bautista if he's available. I mentioned him before. That is a great name and he's a great pitcher. Killer stuff. Throws over 100 miles an hour with his fastball. Has murderous off-speed stuff. So that would be awesome. But I don't know if the Orioles would be willing to sell. And he'd probably cost a lot. And they might want to hang on to him for the future because the Orioles have stacked up on some really good pitching the last couple of years. And they're actually... They might actually make a run for it in a couple of years because they're not necessarily a laughing stock anymore, as we well know. So, at Gladstone Writer says Martin Perez of the Rangers. That's an interesting name because he is having a, a nice season for himself. No denying that he was an All Star. Nice season for himself. It's really weird because he was never really much of anything to talk about in the past. So, this season kind of comes out of nowhere. I'm not necessarily sure. I trust him to keep it up if he were to be traded here, because the rest of his career really isn't anything much to talk about for the most part. So I, while I acknowledge he's having a good year, that's and it's an interesting choice, different name than everybody else is bringing up. But I, I don't know. That's, that's decent, I guess, because he is having a good year. Different name. I like it. Coming up with something different. But the consensus amongst most of us seems to be more or less the same. Let's finish off with the usual final two. First up, my beautiful girlfriend, Vic Salimo. At Vic Salimo says, especially with Andrew Benintendi done with now to help out with the outfield and the lineup, pitching is definitely the next target. I would definitely like to see Montes on the team. All right, well, yeah, that's what a lot of other people are saying, and I would definitely be on board for that. Montes is a, a solid option. He was He's been being spoken about the Yankees for months alongside guys like Castillo, but even... More so in the offseason, it was guys like him and Manaya both together on the A's at the time. And people were just talking about both of them. So the Montes discussion has just been prevalent over the course of the last few months. It's And it's continuing even more so with the deadline only two days away. It was Manaya and him, now it's just him. And last but not least, as always, is my amazing mother, Julia Gina Scudero. And my mom says, while I'm truly upset, as I'm sure many of us are, about losing Castillo... I understand Cashman not willing to give up as much prospect-wise as the Mariners did. But now, I'm hoping to get Frankie Montes and also excited at the prospect of getting David Robertson back for the bullpen. I always enjoyed how he played the game, and the fact that he's already been here before can definitely be useful. But if we can only have one, I'm going for Frankie Montes to help out the rotation. I'm so glad the Yankees woke up for the most part after the painful losses against the Mets for this weekend series against the Royals. Let's go Yankees. Yeah, they mostly did. I mean, today's game sucked ultimately, but they still won three out of four, and the Mets series was annoying. Yeah, so that's it was nice to see. It was an entertaining weekend of baseball, except for Thursday, because Thursday's game, my God. it was. They still won that game, so I'm happy about that. 
And the end of it was fun with Aaron Judge walking it off, but before that, my God. <laughs> like, pulling teeth before that moment. But, yeah, that's basically where a lot of other people are at. And if you had to make a choice, yeah, you always help out the rotation. Because if you get a competent starter, not only does that help out the rotation itself, but getting a competent starter, as I've also said, inevitably helps to relieve the bullpen, pun intended, at least a little bit because you have guys eating up more innings and doing better so that there's less innings that have to be eaten for the bullpen. So if you had to only choose one, yeah, you go with the starting pitcher, no doubt about it, unless you just absolutely don't need a starting pitcher. But if both could use help and you can only choose one, you go for the starter. But getting both of them, yeah, as we've well established, would certainly be awesome. But I'm pretty sure that we are more or less all on the same page as for the future. For the next couple of days prior to the deadline and even going forward after that, I really think the Yankees are only a couple of things away from being really, truly unstoppable. Even more so than they've already been this year throughout this historic 2022 season. Number one, get Stanton back. Number two, if you deem it doable, give someone in AAA a shot. The shortstop prospects are raking Oswaldo Cabrera, Oswald Peraza, if one or both of them are even here by the time the deadline arrives. Give them a shot. If one is to move, of course, the one that you expect to move, higher-end prospect for a good player on another team, is Peraza. But if Peraza's still here, then what are you keeping him down there for if he's raking with Isaiah Kiner-Falefa giving you mediocre baseball play at best? Get your pitching help for the deadline. Needed help. Get it. Whether it be somebody like a Montes or a Rodon or any of the other names that we've run down today in the past, regardless, starting pitching, bullpen, get pitching. Pitching is the main need, especially after the move for Benintendi has been done. You're really only a couple of factors away from making this already great team truly unstoppable and finally, maybe even, being able to take down a big rival of theirs who they will inevitably likely run into, like Houston, or maybe even, even though it's only two games, maybe even being able to make more of a statement offensively against a team like the Mets, who have great pitching, especially their starting rotation. Their bullpen could use some help, but their starting pitching especially. You got to be able to score runs off these guys and also have your pitching more so, and most importantly, hold down their bats. You get all those working out at the same time, get Stanton back, you got Benintendi now, Maybe give somebody else a shot at shortstop if they make it past the deadline. And we'll see how these future matchups go against these tough teams. But only a couple of things away. But the Yankees need to get their pitching help at the deadline. Go from there. You also have guys like Zach Britton coming back, even though you can't rely on those names too much because how long they've been away. You can't rely on those guys too much because that's just unreasonable. If they come through and do great things, and that's fantastic. But you can't really bet everything on wild cards like that. You you just can't. It's not reasonable. They're very close. And these next couple of days, up until the deadline on Tuesday, ought to be real exciting. And I cannot wait to talk to you next Sunday when that is passed, and hopefully we have more to talk about, specifically regarding the Yankees and any moves that they intend to make, and hopefully do end up making. Because they do need to be made. Otherwise... That is all for episode 148 today, my friends. What a what an episode it was. Another hour and a half plus episode just filled with a lot of discussion. What are you going to do? It's a busy time of the season, guys. Really, really busy. And when you combine that fact 
with the fact that it's also amidst a historic season, there's a lot to talk about. But remember to follow me on all social medias as always, guys, if you don't already. Facebook fan page is Mike Scudero NY. Twitter is at Mike Scudero. Instagram, Mike Scuds97. Also, please subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on if you haven't already. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Leave a like if you're listening on YouTube. Leave a review on all the others. Show your love. And if you've missed any past Yapping Yankees episodes, well, you got time to catch up on them. Episodes 34 up to episode 148 today are available on YouTube. And all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's going all the way back to episode one over three years ago, are available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again, thank you, 3000, for listening to me yap today, my friends. As always, I am Mike Scudero, your host, and I will talk to you next Sunday, August 7th, when I come at you with episode 149 of Yapping Yankees as we close in on episode 150. Can you believe it? I can't. (laughs) Until then, guys, you know the deal. Hang in there. Be patient, stay safe, look out for your loved ones, strap yourselves in for the trade deadline. We're in for a hell of a ride, hopefully, (laughs) and enjoy the next week of Yankees baseball against the Mariners, against the Cardinals. It ought to be a fun week and a fun month as things get a little bit more challenging for the Yankees in the month of August. Let's get ready for it. (laughs) I'll talk to you next Sunday, guys. Take care.